Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Good evening church. It is a real privilege to be gathered here and to worship God together. Um and I I really enjoy being with you. But I hope that we can now join together and worship God from the hearing of his word and I pray that his word would impact our hearts today. Just as a means of recap as last week we had an ad break from Jabu uh we're busy with a series in the book of Corinthians first Corinthians and we've titled it Corinthian chaos uh in the first 3 chapters of the book of Corinthians we've dealt with one primary issue in the church and that is the division that was going on various people were saying I follow Paul or I follow Peter or I follow Apollos or some even saying I follow Christ but this tribalistic factionism had caused quarreling and divisions in this church so over the past 3 chapters paul had been pointing out to the corinthians there the reasons why they ought not to be in this mindset in chapter 1 he showed us that their salvation was not a work of their own but it had been a gift from god in chapter 2 he had showed them that all of the wisdom that they possessed was not from themselves but from god through his spirit and in the last chapter he had showed us that the people that they were worshiping and following as if they were gods paul peter and apollos are merely servants and stewards that they are not worthy of anything but it is god alone who is to be praised before we get into tonight i just want to open in a word of prayer Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word. Thank you for your word which is there to teach us, Lord, to teach us how we ought to follow you, our servant king. And I pray, Lord, that this evening, Lord, you would reign in our hearts and bring us to greater obedience to you. Would you sanctify us and mold us to be more like Christ? I pray, Lord, that you'd work through me and in me as well for your glory. Use me, God, in in ways that I cannot do, Lord, but only You can. Work in us, change us, and use us for Your glory. I pray, Amen. So tonight we find ourselves in chapter four of First Corinthians, and uh, our focus will be on verses one to thirteen. So if you could turn there with me, um, I'll begin reading from verse one. He says, "This is how one should regard us." as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God moreover it is required of stewards that they be found faithful but with me it is a very small thing that i should be judged by you or by any human court in fact i do not judge myself for i am not aware of anything against myself but i am not thereby acquitted it is the lord who judges me therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the lord comes will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart then each one will receive his commendation from god i have applied all these things to myself and apollos for your benefit brothers that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another for who sees anything different in you 
What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Beginning with verse 1, we come to our first point for this evening. And Paul is talking about how he is a servant and steward of God. He says in verse 1, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Here he is summarizing much of what chapter 3 was about. He's saying that himself and Apollos are mere servants. A servant is not a high position. A servant is not his own master, but rather he serves his master. And his purpose and duty is to fulfill the will of his master. And they are doing the preci- and they are pr- doing precisely the same thing, serving their master, who is Christ. Moreover, they are also stewards of the mysteries of God. A steward was one who was entrusted to look after the possession of the owner. For example, a steward would look after the owner's house while he was away. In the same way, these two, Paul and Apollos, are stewards of the mysteries of God. They have been entrusted by God to look after and care for his church and to teach and preach the gospel, the mystery of God. Either, neither a servant nor a steward is a high position. It is not a position worthy of praise. A steward is not the master of the house. What Paul is trying to do here is deflect away the adoration of the people of Corinth from either Peter, Paul, or Apollos. He's showing them that we are not high people. We are not worthy of anything. But instead, it is only God who is worthy of your adoration and love. In verse 2, we have a shift. He says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. In the same way that a steward, when the master comes back, would examine how he had looked after his possession, would examine how he looked after his household. In the same way, Paul and Apollos would be judged according to a standard. Paul and Apollos, they must faithfully serve their master, lest they be disciplined as any steward would be. It is also noted that a steward is only judged by his master. The house does not judge the steward. It is the master of the house who judges the steward. In the same way, it is God who will judge these ministers. Yet in verse 3, we see that the Corinthian church was engaged in judging and examining their ministry. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Later on in chapter 9, verse 3, he says, this is my defense to those who examine me. They were judging certain ministers to be better or worse. 
They were using worldly standards to judge who was the better or worse apostle or minister of the gospel. Paul emphatically says that he does not care about the judgments of man. Whether it is the church or all of mankind, it is not the judgments of man that will determine whether he is a good steward or not. Paul continues saying that he does not even judge himself. His own conscience doesn't even determine his faithfulness. He doesn't entrust his own thoughts and feelings about how he is doing to determine whether he is a good servant of God because he knows that even in his own thoughts and intentions, he is sinful and unable to discern the true intentions of his heart. Instead, he says, it is the Lord who judges me. Now, that might sound as though he is trying to shift blame and he's trying to dodge the judgments of man, but I think it is a far more fearful thing to be judged by the Lord than by man. Only God can determine whether Apollos or or Paul are faithful stewards. The master of the house will examine them, not the house itself. Therefore, introducing a conclusion, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. In light of this truth that it is the Lord who judges me, hold your judgment. You don't know the full intentions of my heart. Only on the day that the Lord returns will all the intentions and desires of man's hearts be revealed. Wait until that day, then you will know whether I was faithful or not. Until that time, leave judgment to God. Paul then summarizes this talk about servants and stewards in verse 6 when he says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. What Paul means when he says, I've applied all these things to myself, he's talking about, I have used myself and Apollos as an example to show you something. There's two things that he's trying to show them through using himself and Apollos as examples. He's trying to show them their error of going beyond what is written. Well, what is written? In chapter 1, verse 31 of the book of 1 Corinthians, he quotes from Jeremiah, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord They had gone beyond what is written. They were boasting in men. And he was trying to show in himself and Apollos that they were mere servants and stewards, that we are not the ones who are worthy of any praise. Also from verse 6, we see that Paul was showing himself and Apollos that they ought not to be puffed up in favor of one against another. You see, the Corinthians tried to make it seem as though there are genuine reasons for their divisions, as though there was some theological reason. Uh, yet, at the heart of it, it was because they wanted to be puffed up. It was because of their pride that they had led to the, that it had caused these divisions. They would have cited reasons such as more people were saved under Peter's ministry, or uh, Apollos was a better minister and a better speaker than Paul was, or Paul was the first one to bring the gospel, therefore he is the one we should follow. They tried to make it seem genuine, yet it is only their desire to be puffed up, to be to stroke their egos, that there was this division. Ellicott puts it this way. 
the apostle here touches on the fact that this exaltation of teachers was really a gratification of their own pride. It was not that they puffed up the teacher, but themselves. The divisions not, did not exist for the sake of Paul or Peter or Paulus, but for their own sakes, because they wanted to increase their pride. You think of this as an example. Think of a stereotypical American movie where there are two dads and they each have one son. And these dads are pushing their children to be the best in academics, in culture, in whatever it is that they are doing, in mowing the lawn, because they want to have their son beat the other son. Yet it is not because they want their son to do well. It is because they want to be able to get one up over the other father and say, look at my son, he's far better than yours. In the same way, that is what the Corinthians were doing. Paul Paul rightly lays down who he is. I am only a servant and a steward. I am not worthy of praise, only God is. And through this, Paul tries to show the Corinthians, don't be proud based on man, for man is not worth any praise. The second point I want to raise this evening comes from verses 7 to 13, and I've titled it Kings versus Servants. And the first point I want to bring up is the proud kings the proud kings of the Corinthians. The next two verses, I think, are some of the harshest and most deep-cutting words in the scriptures that I've seen thus far. Verse 7 and 8. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not, did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings, and would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. Paul begins by highlighting the whole error of their divisiveness. We have just seen that they were that they had formed these factions based on their pride, and Paul cuts straight to the heart of the issue and says, "For who sees anything different in you?" As if he's looking at them and he's like, I can't see any reason in any of you why you ought to boast. Is anything different from you than any other man? He continues by saying that, why are you boasting about the things that aren't even yours? Your salvation is not your own. Your sanctification is not your own. Your knowledge is not your own. Then why do you boast as if it is? He is humbling them. He is showing them the error of their way that they were boasting about things that were not even their own, things about which they ought to glorify God about, yet they had been puffing themselves up over. Paul then moves on to using some ironic sarcasm to show the foolish results of their pride. He shows the nature of their pride with some imagery. In verse 8 he says, Already you have all you want. The Greek word that underlies that, it's this idea of being stuffed with food to the full, to the point of bursting. These Corinthians had been feeding themselves, feeding their prideful desires to the point when they were bursting with it. The church members are also said to have become rich, and they were powerful like kings. They were not literally rich, although some of them might have been, nor were they literal kings. Yet, these, this imagery shows us a couple of things. It shows us that their focus was on self-gain, feeding themselves, earning money for themselves, building kingdoms here on earth, and giving themselves position of influence and authority. 
They were more focused on these things than the things of God. They were focused on building a state where they were powerful, where they had influence, where their egos were built up. And this was the root of the division in the church. We then move on to the second sub-point. So we have the proud kings on the one hand, and now we have the humble servants. With the Corinthian example in mind, let us read verses 9 to 13. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. The first thing I note from these verses in verse 9 It is God that has exhibited these apostles as these things. It is in the will of God that they are in the the position that they are in. And if there was ever a refutation to the prosperity gospel, it is that. God was exhibiting them as men sentenced to death. Paul is now using himself, Peter, and Apollos as examples to show them the fault of their ways. In verse 9, Paul is alluding to the great games in the Roman Empire, the gladiator fights. He compares himself and Peter and Apollos to those gladiators who week after week would go out and fight in the games until they could no more, until they died. In the same way, they went out and labored day after day for the sake of Christ until they could no longer do so. These apostles had become fools, They were weak. They were held in disrepute. By worldly standards, they were fools, risking their lives for silly myths and a foolish message. Who would believe that a man had been resurrected from the grave? They were seen as weak, as they suffered much wrong and much evil, yet they didn't lash out in anger and in strength and power as the world would see it. They were held in dishonor as they became known as messengers of that foolish word of the cross. Who would believe such a foolish thing? They often did not have sufficient food to eat, nor drink to drink, nor clothes to replace the rags they wore. They had no home to rest their heads on. According to Law Insider, the basic needs of us humans for survival is food, clothing, and shelter. These are the very bare minimum requirements for life itself. Yet, we see that these men lacked them all. They lacked food, they lacked drink, they lacked clothing and shelter. These men were reviled, persecuted, and slandered by man. Yet at all times, they conducted themselves with godliness When they were hated and held in contempt and reviled, they blessed instead of hated. They did not return evil for evil. Paul, in summary, tells us that they were like the scum of the world. This is the very lowest of lows, the most disgusting and disregarded and disrespected and the weakest and vilest of all mankind. Barnes says, 
the, there were no more vile and worthless people to be found on the face of the earth. These were the people you did not want to associate with. These were the very scum of the earth. It's as if there was not anything that had ever been that was more disgusting and despicable that had dwelt on the face of the earth. This was the life of the apostles. This was their ministry. The question that comes to my mind when I read about these people and their humiliation is, why on earth would you do such a thing? Why on earth would you voluntarily live such a life? You see, these men were stewards and servants of God. They had not their intentions based on a worldly perspective, yet their entire existence was for the glory of their master. These were men intent on serving God, not themselves. They were so intent on this task that they were willing to sacrifice everything that the will of their master might be carried out. In verse 10, Paul tells us, we are fools for Christ's sake. They became fools to the world. They were weak. They were held in disrepute. They were homeless. They hungered. They thirsted. They died because they wanted the glory of Christ. They sacrificed everything because they knew and believed that Christ was worth it all. They counted it a greater pleasure to see their God and Savior glorified than to eat and sleep and even live. The contrast is quite clear. On the one hand, you have these people puffing themselves up, feeding themselves, becoming rich, becoming powerful, becoming like kings, building worldly kingdoms. Their intentions and their desires were upon themselves. They were building their own little kingdoms. Their own, because each man was seeking his own prideful gain, each man was laboring to build his own little kingdom. That is why there was this division. Yet we see, on the other hand, these three men, completely unfazed about the things of this world, uncaring about their own lives. They wish only to see Christ exalted. That is what the example of the apostles show us. Paul, Apollos, and Peter, they were showing the Corinthians where their devotions ought to lie. Their devotions were heaven-bound, not earth-bound, not inward-bound. They, they toiled and labored and suffered through this life for Christ's sake. That was what drove them. That was their very purpose here on earth. And Paul emphasizes the need to follow this calling in verse 16 when he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Imitate this attitude. Follow in my steps. He's not necessarily saying that they must die or that they must be homeless or that they must suffer in the same way that he has, but some of them might. What he is saying, that, that their whole lives, their whole being, their whole existence, like the apostles, must be devoted to Christ, regardless of the cost. If each man remains building his own kingdom and building his own self, then, there will rem then these divisions will remain in the church. As long as each man seeks himself first, there will be as many kingdoms in a church as there are people in the church. 
unless the Corinthians had their devotions and their desires pointed toward the glory of Christ as these apostles did, then there would be no unity. This concludes Paul's appeal to the Corinthians to be united as Christ's church for Christ's glory. What then for us? What does this matter to us today? I don't see people saying that I follow Conrad, I hope not, or I follow Pastor Charles or Pastor Mark or Pastor Jabu. How then does this apply to us today? I have only one application for us today, and that is the same one that Paul had for the Corinthians, and that is, I urge you then, be imitators of me. It is quite easy for us to sit here and think ourselves a more wise and a more sanctified church than the Corinthians. It is quite easy for us to look at Paul's life and think, sure, that was a, that was a brave guy and a good Christian, but that was a bygone era and now we, we live in comfort. But I tell you, the same sin that caused the division in the Corinthian church is the same sin that is prevalent in all of our hearts. It is pride. And the same call that was laid upon Paul to suffer for the sake of the gospel is the same call that we have today. The Corinthians, it is quite evident that they lived their lives for their own gain. Are you any different? Are you absorbed into building your own little kingdom here on earth? And I think what if our our initial reaction is always going to be, no, no, that's not me, it's the guy next to me. But think about this question. What is it that motivates you in life? What is the driving factor in your life? I tell you, if it is not the glory of Christ, it will probably always be inward toward yourself, whether it be money or friends or family or even good things such as that. If it is not for Christ, it is disguised, yet it is still pride. The Corinthian pride was disguised as a genuine disagreement on who the better minister was, yet it was still their prideful passions that led them to this. What is it that you are seeking in your life? We easily make ourselves kings of our own lives. We lead ourselves and we live like gluttons and feeding ourselves on the joyful things of this world and building little kingdoms for ourselves in this life. Bob Utley says it for what it is. He says, if you think that Christianity has brought you so much benefits and you're getting so much accolades from it, you're probably not doing Christianity. God does not save sinners so they can live comfortable lives here on earth. He does not save them so that we can just enjoy it and build our own little kingdoms. He saves them for his own glory. He saves them out of the kingdom of darkness that he may build the kingdom of God here on earth. That is what we are called to labor for. This is where Paul's application comes in. I urge you then, be imitators of me. I think if we realize the extent of that calling, our hearts might drop. Imitate Paul. Was he not seen as a fool, as weak? Was he not, was he not dishonored? Was he not homeless and hungry and thirsty? Was he not discarded and thought of as the very lowest of lows on earth? Did he not die? Yes, that is precisely the example we are to follow. Not all of us will die. Not all of us will suffer. But what we are called to do is regardless of whether we suffer or not, 
to be unwavering in our service to God, whether it means that we suffer, whether it means that we are blessed, whatever it is, all that we are to do is to be done to the glory of God. Paul realized that Christ had died for him. He realized that Christ was a servant king, as we sung. He realized that he had paid the greatest fine possible, and he counted it worth everything to give. He he thought it was worth everything to live his life for him, for Christ had given him more than he could ever repay. If you have been washed, if you have been saved by the blood of Christ, then you will also know that he is worthy of all of your life. Romans 12 verse 1, a famous passage, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We can often think of that in a philosophical and a nice, fanciful sense, but what it is really saying is that all that you are, all that you have, is to be given to God and devoted to His glory. Who are you? Who are you building for? Are you building for yourself? Is your pride the Lord of your heart? Does it govern your desires and your actions? Or are you a servant of God? Not all of us will die. Not all of us will suffer. Some of us might. Are you willing to suffer for Christ? Are you willing to imitate Paul? Who are you serving yourself Oh God, let us pray. Dear Lord, this is a tough message, I believe, for we all struggle with pride. It has been a challenge to myself, Lord, and I hope it is a challenge to all of us. And I pray, God, that you would convict our hearts of our sin, convict us, God, of our pride, Lord, that we would dare labor for ourselves instead of you. Lord, we pray that you would glorify yourselves in our lives as you bring us, Lord, to a greater sense of holiness and you make us more desirous of your glory. Change us, Lord. Would you be the Lord over our hearts and sanctify us for your service, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.